listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White, and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir? I am doing wonderful, sir. And uh, look, it's good to be chatting with you on um, the only day of summer. I mean, here on the east coast of Canada, we get summer for about a day, maybe a day and a half. And, I, you know, we're going to be able to remember 2020 summer because here we are recording on that day. <laughs> it's uh, it's blazing hot, and it's first thing in the morning as we're uh, chatting. So, uh, yeah, cool to be uh, speaking with you, and I'm really excited about today's guest. Yeah, and I mean, one one of the interesting parts of this is that we're recording across multiple continents um, and uh, in two countries, so which is really always very interesting and, uh, and brings its own uh, challenges and, and uh, things like that, too. But I want to promise our listeners that we're not going to use our geographic dispersion as the um, you know, key benefit of the soul topic. So, yeah, yeah, we 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 we're gonna try to make it a little bit more interesting than just that. <laughs> so we have uh, two guests joining us today. They're both from uh, Simon, which is a uh, contract manufacturing company, and uh, joining us today we have Jean Luc Hebert, who is the VP of International Sales and Marketing, and Carl Bro, who is the CEO. Uh, welcome to the Cooler Ring, gentlemen. Hey, hello, Jeff. Hello, Carmen. Good morning. Wonderful for you to join us, uh, gentlemen. And look, it's great for Jeff to get a chance to try to print, uh, you know, work on his French pronunciation. I thought he did the Jean Luc Hebert really well, actually. Mm, yeah, congrats. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, years of French immersion finally pays off. Indeed, indeed. Uh, uh, look, gentlemen, let's just uh, get started. Uh, perhaps um, uh, Jean Luc can go first. Please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about uh, Simon as we get this conversation underway. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, first, night, very nice to host host us. And uh, I can tell you guys that our summer here was two days ago. So um, we already have been through this. So it's <laughs> it was nice. Um, well, at Simon, I mean... Um, I know, I know Carl since uh, many years. In fact, when I was uh, developing business internationally, and at this time, uh, I know he was working on kind of a manufacturing supply. And then more and more since, uh, well, we, we joined together since about three years. And since about a year and a half, we are really developing. I mean, we saw the need of and, and the opportunity for contract manufacturing. And that's what's happening now to see that more and more companies need to concentrate. I mean, it's it's like a, I used to say, like my my uh, god godfather was an engineer, and he was telling me like, uh, well, I had to choose at that time whether I would be electrical, mechanical, or civil. That's it. But I mean, nowadays, uh, an engineer can be like software, computer, algorithm. I mean, it's kind of so specific. What I want to bring in this is like every company developing now a product or uh, getting into business needs to be so, so um, I don't know, developed and specialized in everything they need. Like a, you need to care about the branding, about the social media, about the, 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 the vision, the, uh, everything about the, the, the financing with the, the Series A, Series B, and start thing VC. I mean, there's so, so many things. It's not, some, it's not something like start uh, putting a table and, 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 and having Kool-Aid served. So it's so in order to help them there, I mean, they need to also kind of trust companies who will be able to manufacture. I mean, even getting to manufacture a product nowadays, 
I mean, you want it to be reliable, want it to be fastly put on market. You want it to be commercialized everywhere. So you would need even to have spare parts. You need to even care about like the import, the tariffs, uh, HS code, and uh, how 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 to be um, how to get the product at a decent price on the different markets to be able to be competitive. And that's where we join in. I mean, we let the companies be able to focus on what they're strong at, developing the product, uh, focusing on the R&D, um, the way they will sell or rent or bring licenses, uh, uh, the, the, the uh, associations they will make with other companies and stuff. And while we will be doing the nuts and bolts, but also the like the manufacturing itself, the strategy about the materials, about the price. The... Now, I should tell our listeners, Jean-Luc, that Carl warned us about this, that you, um, once you start talking, we may not be able to get your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this was my time. This was my time. Well, let Carl go. So, so you, you see, right? I told you. So, well, no surprise, right? <laughs> you know that. I yeah. guess, you know, that's, can, okay. but you can always work on the editing. You know that's sort of up to you now, right? <laughs> oh, it's uh, it, it's good. It's good fun. It's good fun, and I but I appreciate that you know Jean Luc's passion comes through as he uh, as he talks about it. So, but but Carl, uh, perhaps uh, give us the uh, the view from your side. And where are you joining us from today? Just uh, so I recall. Well, I'm actually right now in Shanghai, in uh, in China, so a little bit far away from uh, from home because home is still mm. is also Canada for me. But uh, so who we are, we're, we're a contact manufacturer, so we do mostly electronics and mechatronics. So we have a factory here, but we have a pretty big engineering office too. So we're like we're a contract manufacturer that takes projects very early, right? A little bit like what John Luke was saying, which is just sometimes. The people, they just have the idea or they have a prototype and they're looking to go to market and we can help them out. So finish the design for manufacturing and, and actually make the product as well. Very cool. Very cool. And Carl, when we were uh, when we were kind of teeing up this episode and having our initial conversations a, a week or so ago, um, you were talked a, a fair bit at that time about how you saw a the, kind of almost the shift that you saw companies undertake, kind of how they morphed, uh, if you will, as they shifted from being a conventional manufacturer to uh, perhaps distancing themselves from that a bit, handing that over to contract manufacturers that can specialize in the actual production. Um, and you said at the time that it ends up, uh, and Jean-Luc mentioned this just a brief second ago, that you know you really see that focus shift, and, and they become more um, marketing and product focused versus uh, manufacturing and efficiency focused. And yes, I've got to tell you, as a as an industrial marketer, as a manufacturing marketer, that excited me. Um, uh, very often we, um, you know, we look at marketing organizations and we see organizations that are sorely lacking a marketing focus. Um, uh, uh, so I guess unpack that a bit for me. How do you, how do you see that in, in your world and, and, and what are some of the kind of the touch points? Well, I think if we go back about 20 years, most uh, companies that make a product in the uh, USA or Canada or anywhere else around the world, they have their own factory. 
and then transitioning into a mode where most of them would actually already go into more of a model of doing their own R&D and do their marketing and actually doing the manufacturing with somebody else who could be a contract manufacturer or just a, just a regular supplier. But I think there was a long time where this they were sort of embarrassed about that, not to say, well, you know, we don't want the manufact people to know that we're not manufacturing our product. But to your point of there's a transition, I think there's a big touch point this year that's accelerated by a few aspects. One of them is uh, there's just a tr- the new marketing, which is about social media. It's about things that what we're doing today is really, really about content. And there's just so much content you can get from the customer side or from the product side. You know, I mean, at some point, uh, introducing the 17th color of the same product, you know, is not really big news anymore. So you're trying to get find something that is more interesting to be able, be able to feed for social media. And, you know, I think today what's interesting, what's relevant you know, where does a product come from? Uh, authenticity, is it, what's the materials? What is, was it made of? And actually this type of information comes from the manufacturer in this discussion, the contract manufacturer. So we just find that this year uh, we've been pulled into those sort of social media conversations a lot more than we used to. Used to be almost like, you know, please don't mention the fact that we do business together to to today, which is almost the opposite, feed us with as much sort of beautiful, authentic sort of content about our product, about our supply chain, about the people. And and they feed that, or I mean, they being our partners or customers, they use that for their own content. So I think that's a big switch. Well, look, Carl, in the time of uh, COVID-19, clearly supply chain challenges have been front and center for a lot of businesses. Um, uh, do, do you feel that some of it is simply a response to that, that they feel they need to be more transparent about that supply chain? Um, sounds like you were experiencing that before the pandemic, but you also happened to mention it was accelerated. I think so, really. Uh, you know, there's also, I'm not sure how to call that. We call that backyard content, which is like nothing to do with the product or the factory is just sort of contextual content, like us being oper- having operations in Canada, but also in China, we had a lot of sort of, you know, this peripheral content of talking about, well, how's the pandemic in China now? You, you guys seem to have recovered before and things like this, which is not really totally related. But then this was attracting people to see, because I think it was still very relevant for us and sort not so fresh now, but it was certainly fresh maybe three or four months ago to talk about, you know, well, China, we came out of it first. How do we feel now? What's the new normal? And sort of also using that content, you know, to be able to feed the, and of course, that part of it was very much accelerated by the by the COVID. I mean, at, at a certain point in time, I would, I'm not sure exactly when, but certainly somewhere in March, I mean, essentially, we were, as opposed to Canada or USA, we were essentially one of the rare places that was sort of picking up and starting to produce again, right? So we were the, essentially, we were we were the supply chain, the supply line, I guess, by, that, by then. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's interesting that sometimes it gets a bit overlooked in this conversation around the supply chain challenges. A lot of that conversation seems to hinge on uh, people trying to, uh, um, even some discussion about migrating away from Asian-based supply chains and things of that sort in order to try to gain more stability, when in fact it was um, you know some of those supply lines that actually reopened the earliest. Yes, well, that's true. And then, uh, well, one of the, uh, you know, where to locate your supply chain uh, is, uh, 
I don't know if you ever did this exercise, but we used to do that a lot, which was one of saying, um, we did, we called it the center of gravity exercise. For example, say you're trying to position your uh, our distribution center in, in the USA, okay? And then you, so you have to choose a location. So to choose that location, well, there's many ways to do that in, in supply chain theory. One of them is very simple. You just, you just, you just have the geographical locations of your customers and then you give them a certain weight, essentially just like, and then you truly just find the center of gravity of your customers and, you know, typically falls into somewhere between Illinois and Wisconsin or whatever in the central USA. And surprise, that's where you find essentially 50% of all, you know, distribution centers in the USA. But my point is what's happening now is on the also, it can also be done on the sales side for you know, you're buying, so you're, you're centralizing, you're purchasing, but you're also sort of supply supplying your customers. And those centers of gravity, they're migrating, right? I mean, there's a lot of companies from Canada where actually used to be selling mostly to Canada or USA, but oh, all of a sudden they're selling more and more into Asia, into Australia, even into, you know, certainly Europe. Or And, and then once you take that into account, then it's not so much a question of determining where do I put my manufacturing contract manufacturing? It, it's no longer necessarily the best location is no, not necessarily in Canada, you know, or maybe you have one in Canada and you have one located in Europe and maybe one in Asia, maybe one in Africa. So it's a little bit more, it's, it's, it's not a line. It's not two directional. It's not only about onshoring and offshoring as if this was just a straight line between the places that only make stuff with a place that only buys stuff. Right. It's getting a little bit more distributed than that. And when you make the actual calculation, if you do it in a structured way, then uh, you get into a model where actually it doesn't really only make sense to, even though there's some logic in terms of, you know, saying let's produce what we make or what we use, I mean, what we use. Uh, when you do the real economics of it, it really depends where you're selling, I mean, where your supply chain is, if you want this to work economically. I have to think too that uh, the distribution and shipping really plays greatly into this equation as well like it's it's no longer just a, the final mile to the the final customer now it really is part of the whole supply chain is is also how things go from from the uh, the product producer to the manufacturer to the distributor to the customer i mean shipping has become a massive massive industry as part of this as well do you i imagine you play into that quite strongly too for sure you know, exactly i think uh, i mean this but this the point i think is one of saying uh, about maybe china or you know or essentially a, a, a reshoring and it's a I think there's another point I would like to make just on that is one is one of during the COVID crisis, I think horizons were shrinking. I mean, honestly, in mid-March, I didn't care about 2022 at all. I don't care. I mean, I'm a manager. I should be thinking long term what's going to happen, the strategy and whatever. I didn't care. I was I would care I was caring about this month and maybe next month and maybe a little bit lower over this year, but that's it just because you're in a crisis mode, right? I think there's a bit of that geographically as well. I mean, because it became so complex at some point to go through, uh, you know, 
Uh, of course, transportation was disrupted. Uh, the customs were disrupted. It became. It also became a point where I myself was thinking, well, let's focus on our Chinese customers mostly, our Asian customers. Let's focus mostly on our Asian or Chinese suppliers, and let's try to live with that for a while because I don't think Italy is going to be up for a while. USA seems to be also a bit of a problem. So, so I think. It was natural for us to sort of shrink our, you know, horizon and sort of become almost. Uh, uh, but we, but I don't think we want to confuse the two. I don't think we want to confuse the fact that in short term, in crisis mode, we want to deal. We we need to be much closer to where we are with something that makes sense. You know, sort of you look at it very sort of more objectively from a uh, from a company that buys and and sells all over the world. I it's um I I appreciate that kind of um, uh, dynamic because of course it shifts to marketing as well. Uh, it's not just about your supply chain management. Uh, you know, in the early days of the crisis, I think marketers uh, too got fairly short. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're where they started focusing their energies were were not on twenty twenty two or twenty twenty three, but more on Q two twenty twenty, and. Uh, uh, and I, I guess I've noticed a similar thing uh, going on with marketers now that we're, you know, we're just about into to August uh, at the time of this recording. Um, and, uh, and there seems to be a bit more of a, over the last month or so, I think people are starting to kind of look up above the horizon a little bit more and try to look a little bit further ahead and say, okay, um, we know we're into some short-term uh, turmoil here that isn't likely to pass for six to 12 months or what have you, but um, uh, it, it's encouraging, at least on the marketing side, I feel that people aren't uh, staying squarely focused on the next two weeks, but are starting to lift their head up a little bit more. Yes. Um, yes. I, 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 I trust you're seeing that as well. Yes. Well, you know, there's a, I mean, we all went into crisis mode, right? So, so crisis does change the dynamics of, of decisions. And, uh, and then, and certainly one of those is, is just to focus more on the short term and what's closer to you. That's, that's normal. I mean, to a certain extent, 50% of our concern is our family by then. And then you have the other 50% that has to be carried over to everything else, including contract manufacturing and marketing. Mm. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a strange, uh, strange thing to combine sometimes. In that, <laughs> uh, I understand what you're saying. Are your digital marketing efforts bringing in too many junk leads? Stop wasting time and distracting your sales team. Account-based marketing can help give your marketing strategy the laser focus on qualified buyers that you need to increase your pipeline velocity, close more deals, and grow your business faster. We've created a sample manufacturing ABM plan to help you get started. Download the sample manufacturing ABM plan at bit.ly slash sample ABM. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash sample ABM. I'd be curious, how, um, as you've seen this shift uh, towards contract manufacturers now being more a part of the marketing dialogue, more a part of the marketing conversation, you're not having to hide behind a white label, but rather your manufacturing expertise and talents are, are being surfaced um, uh, by those brands. Um, I, I, I guess, how, how do you find that manifesting itself? What are the types of things that you're doing uh, that you find yourself doing this year, last year, that you weren't doing a year or two ago from, a, from, from the point of view of, of transparency? Um, what are some of the, uh, I guess, touch, uh, touch points for that? 
Well, you know, we did, uh, I think there's quite a few examples of that, of, of us and other contract manufacturers. Uh, well, for we've started doing, I mean, we did some webinars with some customers, which was very interesting. I thought, I mean, used to be uh, we would feed content to the uh, to the to the customer. The customer themselves would do the the webinar or try to present. But now it's getting more and more in terms of of of. Uh, so that's a, that. I guess the, the, that's the best example. The first example is just doing joint webinars. So all of a sudden we're sitting with the 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 company that that is essentially the owner of the product that's uh, that's doing the marketing. And then we're invited into a webinar along with them as their contract manufacturer. So I don't think we've seen that before, really. That's uh, that's really something totally new this year. And if I try to explain why that happened in the cases we were involved in, I think uh, I think a little bit like we were seeing at the very beginning. I think this year, uh, I mean, it's a fundamental trend overall of authenticity of wanting to know where the product you're buying comes from, who's who's the face behind the actual manufacturing. And I mean, also we've been, I mean, we live in the world that is so much about, I think, uh, of course it's great, but it's all about online and the web and everything. It's like, it's like today talking about something like a factory and your brick and mortar is like, wow, really, you know, so fresh and new and you have people there and they have a story and it's, it's almost like we went, you know, we disappeared for a while. Nobody was interested in brick and mortar and learning about machines and, and you know, properties and materials and, and, and if they were sustainable. And then all of a sudden, it's, it's not just because of the fact that there's so much demand for content. I think it's part of a bigger sort of bigger trend where people want to know what, you know, where the, peop- the, 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 the products they buy, where they come from and what's the story behind them. I can't imagine that. Uh, I, I guess it just feels to me like this must be a huge challenge for some of those, um, especially the the family um, based manufacturers. I'm thinking about manufacturing companies that are third, fourth generation. You know, so the great great grandfather started the factory, and um, and you know, a lot of those organizations have moved to mixed manufacturing models, where some of their products are being manufactured say in China or elsewhere, and then others are being manufactured in their own factories, uh, say in, like you say, in Wisconsin or in Illinois or what have you. Um, and, and so often, um, you know, they, they, it seems like the only ones they want to talk about, of course, are the, are the factories that they own. And they really do try to, um, it's got to be a huge mind shift, I would think, uh, as a, you know, when you start speaking to them as a contract manufacturer about another way, a more cooperative way, if you will, of going to market. Yes. Um, it, it just must. Do, 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 you, do you find it that that results in that dog watching TV kind of high, sideways head tilt every once in a while? Like, do they? You know, it, it must be a bit of a uh, a shift for them, for sure. It's true. I think it's also driven, honestly, by the fact that Asia is just becoming now not just a manufacturer, but also a market. And then uh, so actually it creates for other beautiful stories, just the one of saying, well, you know, there are mark. I mean, in our case could be another example in another country. But if we speak for our story, our story is also about helping some of the customers that we have be competitive into the Asian market, sell here, be successful here. In some cases, sell more here than they, they sell even back in Canada or USA. 
So that becomes a story as well, right? Just the one of saying, well, you know, it's a new world now. It's a, uh, you know, you we used to, I learned that the G7 was what, like a USA, a Japan. I mean, Canada was there somewhere. And, you know, if you look at the real G7 today, I mean, uh, Canada is not there anymore. And, you know, you got things like people like China, India. I mean, it's not, not at all the image we used to have of who's the, who's the, who, where the big markets are. We all know that. But it also affects these discussions, right, which is just one of saying, well, all of a sudden, there's a, there's a nice story to tell of saying our expertise as, as a company now. I think, I mean, if you look at Apple, that's, I mean, not to oversimplify a, a, a very complex story, but it seems to me that it's pretty obvious that essentially they cared about their users. They did beautiful design. They become experts in product design and development. And essentially, they just outsource all of their manufacturing to somebody who was competent and could do it as a good at a good price, no matter where they were located, and that worked out very well for them. So I think you know this this sort of dynamic is 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 very present, and it's uh, it's something very natural that's appearing. I love to hear Apple used as an example for something other than how they do their marketing. Because <laughs> we're constantly in conversations with people who, you know, if you could just make it look like Apple's design or their web page or maybe like Google's, you know, like to reference it more from a, a how they choose to structure their supply chain perspective. It's a, it's a much well, different lesson, I think. Well, you know that the decision, I mean, it's, I think it's well known that the decision in Apple to go to contract manufacturing was actually made by Cook, you know, who's now the CEO. I mean, he's essentially a hero for that decision. The one of saying, you know, I don't want to spend so much. We have some limited resources. We have a beautiful, some ideas, some great ideas. Let's just focus on doing good design, good marketing, uh, essentially managing that. I think one of the things they do very well, I mean, that's just one opinion amongst many others, but it's just managing that sort of uh, dichotomy of pushing the envelope technical, but keeping it sort of, sort of technically feasible we do that and once the product is is ready to go actually we don't manufacture and then uh, i i would think for them and for many other companies i mean ibm is i mean ibm was the original company going to contract manufacturing i mean for for many of those companies it seemed to be uh, a bit of an unusual move for them but it it's it's obviously allowed it's allowed them to really focus more on the product and not so much on the uh, on the day-to-day -day operations which are really sort of uh, you know, it's not only about resources. I think it's two things which are fundamentally different from a management perspective to manage creativity and to manage productivity, essentially. I mean, not to oversimplify, but I think it's it's like it's not the same. It's hard to do if you're, if you're the same person, you know. I mean, what do you do? One day you're creative, the other you're, you're you know, trying to save every penny. It's hard, right? So, but if you become in that model, then this seems to become a little bit more natural. The marketing, I think, uh, is of course the gist of this discussion here. But I truly believe now that it used to be the marketing in the place like Apple. I'm sorry, I'm sort of going back to marketing in Apple, even though you just said we're sort of <laughs> hearing that. But uh, anyway, it's just temptation is too big. But uh, but just to say again that even uh, on the Apple. The, uh, on, if you look at, at Apple as a marketing powerhouse, I think really now even them they're they're getting more and more. Uh, I mean about where the product comes from. You know, it's every everybody is going into the uh, 
the supply chain issues now it's just you you cannot just dissociate the marketing now it's too much about it's too much about being authentic and having the so much information and, and you have to pull in some of the elements from your supply chain there's just no way out of it i think it's interesting that um you know we've we've, we've learned this lesson a lot from uh, from uh, consumer uh, companies um uh, you know, Nike. Everybody knows Nike doesn't actually make their shoes; they just design the shoes. I mean, they're they're a brand and marketing company fundamentally. They're not a shoe manufacturer, really. Um, and uh, I think part of what you're saying, uh, Carl and Jean Luc, is that uh, you know there's a there's an opportunity for um, uh, manufacturers well beyond those consumer goods to take that same approach. Not that they don't already, but to actually more embrace it. Um, and I do think that is a challenge for a lot of the industrial manufacturers that I talk to. They maybe don't think about it in quite that same way. And I love the, the notion of it uh, opening up uh, the possibility for flexing those muscles on marketing a little bit more. And you're quite right, Carl. I think uh, you know, it can be challenging to uh, manage both creativity and productivity at the same time. They seem to be very opposed uh, often. Um, uh, I'd love, I think we could do an entire episode just on that, frankly, uh, cause I think it's probably the, the heart of a lot of the struggles that manufacturing marketers feel as they exist within their manufacturing organizations is they feel that they're the, you know, they're the, they're the one side of it that kind of operates a bit differently than the rest of the organization, you know, you could say they think different. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's a proportion. Of course, there's there's creativity and productivity, and there's productivity and creativity. But I think fundamentally, those are very different things, you know. And I mean, what we're saying also sort of brings something to me about contract manufacturing. It's a little bit like you know about maybe a little bit about the sharing economy. I mean, let's say us four guys we decide to create a new company, a new startup. I mean, we're going to be sharing cars. We're going to be having, we're going to have a shared office. We're going to be maybe even share a computer, uh, you know, and share a lot of things at the beginning. And then, I mean, it seems that contract manufacturing is like sharing your factory, right? I mean, there's there's sort of a fundamental, there's sort of something, I guess, fundamentally uh, there about the economy, essentially supporting startups, where you, you're, it's no longer necessary to have everything on your own and under your own roof and own everything. At this point, you know, it's just essentially about just choosing the right partner for every small need that you have. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's good in that way as well. And then, and, and, and just to reemphasize something that I truly think is true, uh, and I think Jean-Luc would probably support me on that as well, is I think some things you don't want to pull out. I think some things you have to stay very close and, and for example, marketing and of course, you know, finance, I mean, you can, you, of course you can find a partner to do your marketing, but essentially what drives your company and your business model and the fundamental of what you are, that has to be inside. I mean, you don't want somebody else deciding what sort of product or long-term strategy your company should, uh, should have. I mean, people can give you advice, but I think those are core things, but I don't think manufacturing is one of them. Really. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, it, yeah, it's interesting. I I kind of wonder about the um, if even a focus on one uh, drives you to an, an an inability to focus on the other. Um, you know, is the key to being a successful manufacturer five ten years from now is the key to it getting out of manufacturing. 
is is the key to being a successful manufacturing brand actually getting out of manufacturing so you can shift that core competency to marketing and product development yes um that's uh that's true that's a fun that's a fun little mental exercise to play around with yeah, that's it. The thing of focus, right? It also gives a little, goes a little back back to something Jean Luc was saying, which is just the fact that things are getting more complex as well. You know, used to be you could make a table, and you know, with wood and some screws, and I mean, people would buy that and be happy. Now, uh, you know, it has to be uh, connected to Wi-Fi, and you have to be able to, uh, you know, uh, disassemble it easily and folding. And I mean, it seems there's nothing we can do now that doesn't have some sort of level of complexity, and that's just the product. And then, of course, then you go to marketing. Used to be, I mean, you buy an ad in the newspaper, and essentially you got a business. But now, of course, you know, it's getting, uh, it's multimedia, pushing content. You still have to put the ad in the newspaper in some cases even. And then, you know, so everything gets so fragmented and complex that I think it's, uh, you need to sort of choose a little bit to your point, you know, what you focus on and essentially choose what you're going to leave other people to do, even though maybe you would like to do them or maybe even could be good at it. I think that's really interesting. Uh, Jean-Luc, I wanted to uh, come back to you and just ask what you're seeing on the ground, because you're based here in North America, in Canada, and uh, how how are you seeing in the discussions that you're having with the uh, with the companies that are looking to to manufacture with you? Um, what what are they saying as they as they come to you? Yeah, uh, actually, it, it goes back to uh, many things that were discussed here that were interesting. Uh, first, when we uh, we see other countries, it, it, it's it, we need to stop seeing other countries as a way to manufacture for less cost, like as a cheap cheap labor. It becomes more, as Carl was saying, opportunity for market development there. So instead of uh, because there there might be sometimes not such a difference manufacturing in one country regardless uh, regarding to the other, but it's more about how we're going to sell there. And the other thing about the, the shared economy and also what Carmen was, was asking about, uh, what kind of shift we saw in the way we can introduce the contract manufacturing. What we see over the last years is a huge increase in, uh, I mean, in Montreal and we see also in Ottawa and Toronto, uh, a lot of kind of accelerators and incubators. It's like if every university is having now, I think, like a, a, whether it's engineering or even in business uh, schools, uh, they, they, they open ways to help companies start, uh, to help people start to, to, to develop their idea and become something that they could uh, develop a product and sell it. But then we are coming, and that's the discussion we have now with more and more people, is they see our our box, like if they say, like uh, on a map, you see the box of like incubators and accelerators, and then the financial support and stuff. But now, more and more people need to kind of develop a manufacturing possibility of the product, and that's where contract manufacturing arrives. So it's it we are like the the next the next block on the road of, of development. And um, the other thing we see also is that a lot of companies are are basing the development on, on software like a, a new app on the on the phone and so whatever we we see like a startup fest we had last week in montreal i would say that two-thirds of the company based their development on this 
but then it becomes quick that they will feel where our app would be so much better if we had a kind of a, a toy or something physical that could either, I don't know, send some signal or be positioned somewhere or bring a functionality. And that's where they stop. And then they, when they realize that, well, just have the idea, make some drawing, bring the concept, and we'll be able to manufacture it for them. I mean, it's kind of, they can continue to be a company developing software, and they don't need to, to care about manufacturing. So that, that's, that's a big trend we see now here in, uh, in Canada, I would say. And then, of course, you have the reverse happening where uh, the traditional uh, product manufacturers are now adding on software layers and apps sure. in, in front of their products. I love the, I love that kind of uh, the juxtaposition between those two things, the older companies having to innovate by bringing software onto their products and the younger people starting from a software-first mentality. It's a, I, I'm, so, I'm, so, uh, I'm so kind of... Uh, having fun when I show my friends my new barbecue that I just bought this summer, which has, believe me, the, believe me or not, I have a Wi-Fi connection that tells me the temperature getting on the chicken or stuff. I mean, who would have thought about it five years ago? I mean, it's a phone-connected barbecue, and it works very well. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, Where is this world going to? That's my question. Oh, uh, <laughs> gentlemen! I feel like we're uh, we're gonna have to stop there because Jeff is a barbecue uh, smoking enthusiast, and if we get him down that train of thought, we've got another half hour to go, so at least. Yeah. Especially if we're talking about gadgets. I would have, maybe just a little something I would like to mention. It goes back to a question you had earlier, Carmen, about. Uh, uh, what sort of new opportunities we see in, in co-marketing between us and our customers? And I mentioned the webinars, okay. I also see another thing is is the fact that sometimes the uh, sometimes the contract manufacturers like us, we're more established. You know, I mean, we've been there. We have many customers who manufacture for many companies. And then when it goes, and then all of a sudden, uh, one of the things that was also accelerated by COVID, obviously, is the fact that all of a sudden, you had all these manufacturers that really need to go online, go digital, and then, you know, try to do a sell online or, and get visibility and things like this. So you got these people all of a sudden say, well, you know, how many, so, well, how many people are following us on, on LinkedIn, you know, or on, on my personal account? Do we even have a, a business, a, a company account on LinkedIn or, or maybe we do and we have like a, seven followers or something. So, so all of a sudden, you know, you always also have that trend of, of saying, well, who's got a window open on social media really? Who's got followers? Who's got you know? Who's got people who are you know, essentially listening or uh, you know playing a role of influencers? And I'm not saying we are, but I certainly I certainly think that in this type of collaboration, we did discover that amongst this network of customers and partners that we had, some had much more sort of followers and and visibility online than others. And so, so those type of collaborations also sort of accelerate this visibility that you have. You know, for example, we did some, we did some posts on LinkedIn. For example, not to do a LinkedIn ad, but still, I could say on social media, we were directly advertising the cust the product of our customer. We were using some sort of a content twist, uh, something. I mean, it was still irrelevant, not just an ad, and uh, and then essentially using our sort of presence online to be able to help them back, right? The other, the same way we were also looking to, well, 
other the people that we have, and I have an example here of somebody in Shanghai who had like 25,000 followers on LinkedIn, very influential person online. And we're having, we're working with him to talk about us. We talk about him and try to get that engagement as well, which is also one, one way of, uh, of trying to solicitate the, uh, I mean, try to, to, to reach the market if you're going online, you know, because uh, going online successfully at some point, you need that transition. We talk about the one to one million transition. It's like if you go from you and your seven friends and their seven friends have seven friends, you know, you're up to 49. That's not enough for a campaign. You have to find who in your network has got like, if I mean, of course, if you got a million, it's done. But you have to find who's really going to give you that reach that you need to be able to work on because it's all about numbers by then if you're trying to sell online. Essentially, if you have 200,000 people visiting your website every day, no matter what you sell, you're going to be selling. But if you got two people, you're not. So, so there's that dynamic as well that comes to play. Carl, I appreciate you uh, and Jean-Luc both giving us insight into, uh, I guess, a bit of a, a new uh, cooperation or shared economy that might be emerging as a result of COVID. Uh, if that's the one contribution we can make today is to look at this and uh, put a bright side spin on it, then uh, I think we will have done our job. So I, um, I thank you very much for sharing your experience and uh, expertise with us today on The Cooler Room. It's been a pleasure. Great pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.